This is Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Sinell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on Tech Transforms, a podcast sponsored by Dynatrace. I'm Carolyn Ford here with my co-host, Mark. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Carolyn. So today, I am really happy to have Sarah Jones here with us. Good morning, Sarah. Hi, happy to be here. Good morning. So Sarah's a friend, and we've spoken before. And Sarah, what we're going to talk about with Sarah, a lot of our guests, almost all of our guests, Mark, bring up, even though we're talking about tech, they always go back to culture. And we're going to talk about that with Sarah today. So Sarah Jones is the CEO of Inclusion Pro. She has over 20 years of experience in technology, business development, law, and leadership. You were a practicing attorney, right, Sarah? For 10 years, I'm still recovering. (laughs) Yes. Okay. A recovering attorney. So as the CEO of Inclusion Pro, her mission is to guide leaders in building inclusive cultures that promote team performance and team innovation. And she's written a book recently called Inclusive Leadership and the Authenticity Gap that we get to talk about today. So again, welcome, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. And, uh, you know, this is a fun opportunity for me to merge my love of technology with diversity, equity, inclusion, which is, as most folks know, is pretty hard to do. But I've had a couple decades of of talking about this. So hopefully we can uh, share some really great learnings. And most importantly, you know, Mark and Carolyn, I think for the folks listening that might be thinking, uh, DEI again, DEI again, right? Which stands for? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's a lot of things have shifted, And I think a lot of folks come to this type of conversation with kind of the old thinking in mind. And I'd just like to invite listeners to kind of get rid of what you know and just be open to hearing some new thoughts around diversity, equity, inclusions, and and things that we're able to do now that we weren't able to do even five years ago. So that's my little plug for staying open-minded today. (laughs) Well, so that leads really nicely into my first question about being a recovering attorney, your love for tech, what inspired you to create Inclusion Pro? Uh, Well, Inclusion Pro is the end of a long 20-year journey, um, having uh, sort of diversity, equity, inclusion as part of my personal career journey. Now, it it, it may not be part of everyone's, and and a significant part of that is because I did start in patent law, which, you know, having an engineering degree and a law degree put me in an industry that had only 5% women and people of color. So, you know, I get a lot of people that are like, oh, our industry has no women. I'm like, yeah, I've been there. I actually know what it's like. It's not like, uh, you know, I came from academia or some area that was just flush with a lot of diversity. I have lived this and I understand the impacts of it at a very personal level. But I also have been an executive. I know the challenges of being an executive. So, um, you know, those operational aspects and how it really works in business. And so 
Um, there's some big misalignments that can happen that we need to talk about when we get to this idea of, of authenticity, right? What is the individual need versus the larger organizational needs? Um, and those can be very complex, very hard. And so uh, I think it's something unique that, that I've been able to understand over my time that makes me uniquely positioned to be able to help executives in this journey where most of them haven't been in this conversation. I think white men are more recently joining the conversation, which is very, very exciting. Um, but you got a lot of employees, right, that are saying, what about social justice? What about this? I'm not seeing this statement. Where's this ERG? Where's this? You're not committed, right? So it can be really challenging to be a leader. So that's, um, you know, being able to, uh, frankly, have a full-time <laughs> make a full-time living doing diversity, equity, inclusion. It's not something I could have ever imagined would have happened 20 years ago, but happily here we are and people are willing to invest the time and energy into doing this. And so I'm, I'm just thrilled that I can do this full-time and bring all that knowledge uh, into the companies. Well, I, I really like to understand what you think that that means um, you know, and what we're doing, because I was a little confused at first by the use of, you know, authentic or authenticity here. Well, and yeah. I'm really interested to know, so what it means for like the employee for us, for <clears throat> me, and how it, why it matters, I guess, to the bottom line for the company. Because I think a lot of times that's what creates change, right? If it, if it helps the bottom line, oh, then we'll do it. So I don't know if there's a tie in there. Yeah, what's interesting is that's actually the number one thing that executives want. So when I work with an executive team, we actually go through an exercise that asks them, what is the thing that you most desire out of all of these strategic, you know, sort of outcomes? So think about that. That's not actually a bottom line conversation. What that is, is I, as an executive and a leader, would really like to be able to do this, not because it's, you know, we've, we've always been saying it's the right thing to do. We all know that. So let's just move forward past that, right? Because people aren't doing it. So, so at the core, what I find is when you get leaders sort of in a space where they can be self-reflective, they actually just want to be themselves. I mean, it's so bizarre, but they want to be humanized too. They want to be able to, uh, try. And if they make a mistake, they don't want to be like, um, just, you know, executives, you know, get, get this, this, uh, kind of spotlight on them in, in, we can debate the word unfair, but they, they have a spotlight on them. And so even if they make a small mistake, oh, wow, people are going to notice and they're going to be like, oh, that person, they don't get it. Right. They, um, you know, how can they be so disconnected, et cetera, et cetera. And imagine what that starts to do as leaders are trying to learn. So let's say, you know, you're a white man, you've recently started learning about diversity, equity, inclusion, and you have folks that are expecting you to be perfect at it. I mean, that's a lot of pressure, I think, for leaders. And by the way, I'm not perfect at it also. And so we've created this interesting dynamic um, not necessarily recently, but I think for leaders having to be on guard and kind of in this angel double position, either you maybe say more right. so for publicly traded companies. Yes, know. yeah, public, yeah. But, but even private companies, right? This is any yeah. culture where leaders have this pressure. Well, and even government, like I'm thinking about 
our defense leadership, you know, they, I feel like they almost can't afford to be authentic. Is that? That's exactly right. Now you're thinking about the, now you're thinking about the, the, um, you know, the give and take of, of what am I allowed to say and what do I have the freedom to say? And yeah. So, so how do you shift that? Right. Because what happens, right. Is when you really um, curate the words that you say, you actually stop communicating. You stop having conversations with people. You say, well, if Mm -hmm. that's the reaction I'm going to get, I'm just not even going to try. Mm -hmm. So the learning stops, the engagement stops, the human connection stops in the corporate culture. And um, that's kind of been the whole problem to begin with, is if we would just get together in a room, sit down and be able to have conversations, knowing, actually knowing and expecting people to make mistakes, right? And then how do we help people through that and help each other learn? And by the way, it's not just white men that are going to make mistakes. It's going to be people of color to make assumptions. It's going to be LGBTQIA identifying people, right? We're all going to make mistakes because we're all human. So we've created this interesting sort of uh, boundary around what's permissible and what's not permissible. And it's really, I think, slowed down our ability to change culture within leaders or companies. Now, what I'm not saying is say whatever the heck you want. That's not what I'm saying. Um, But what I'm saying is that authentic uh, authenticity, right? That that goal to reach that is really a journey, and it's really like we're going to help each other, and it, we're going to learn side by side. Because I, as the executive, don't know everything, and also you, as the new employee, don't know everything either. And it's okay. We're going to help each other out. So now it's more of a partnered experience rather than you know, what would be considered like a top-down, the leaders need to model, blah, 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 or a grassroots because neither works by itself alone, right? So that's an example of the shift that enables more people within an organization to really be more authentic and to reduce the misalignments that can happen. So the authenticity gap is more in the leadership or in the in the employees or everybody? Well, I would say, I would say it's how leaders respond to employees desire for more inclusion. So there's actually many, many options available to leaders. And um, if they are not in touch with the way to get that true connection with their employees, they're more likely to create an authenticity gap. They're more likely to have Mm -hmm. people say, oh, they're doing it to check the box. Oh, Mm -hmm. they don't really mean it. Oh, they're doing it for marketing reasons, but they don't actually believe it, Mm -hmm. right? So it's that sort of sentiment that you're trying to reduce. And um, there's there's, uh, methods that produce that. And there's also methods that create more authenticity. So I absolutely see how being authentic is good for your soul. Is it good for your company? Yeah. I mean, look, we're in the great resignation period. We have come up with some pretty rough business experiences. I think executives are just scrambling right now to figure things out. And, you know, some are saying, hey, I can't afford right now to do diversity, equity, inclusion. Well, 
you know, in my mind, if you're thinking of diversity, equity, inclusion as something on top of your day job, you're probably thinking about it wrong in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's really how, how we show up, how we make decisions, how we grow the business, right? It's not about just keeping employees happy. So if you're just trying to satiate employees, and it, it, that's very patronizing and it is felt, they know, that, right? They're not dumb. They know when leaders are, are just doing it to make it seem like they're doing it, but they're not really committed. The teams I work on usually have very genuine interests. So I'm actually not working with folks that are just talking the talk. If they're talking the talk, I guarantee they will not hire me, right? Mm. That's just kind of a fundamentally easy thing for me as a DEI consultant to know who's genuinely committed, who wants to do the work, and who's not interested in doing it. Um, And so, you know, my day-to-day is really more focused on those organizations and and what they can do to make impact. And then I'm actually seeing the work going on inside of the organization. Some of that's a little bit more invisible to folks on the outside. And that's the leadership challenge right there, right, is that communication piece and things like that. Um, But I would say that I don't necessarily go in an approach which says I look at the executive team or boardroom and I'm like, diversify now or you're going to get a lot of backlash, right? That's absolutely not my approach because from an executive leadership standpoint, we know how hard it is to keep the ship running and having a lot of changeover at the top is just, it's just not smart, right? So what is the learning what is the growth and and capacity we start to build in the leadership team so they can start to make decisions in a more, um, you know, sort of deep, inclusive way? That's when you're going to start to see the real authenticity happen. Sometimes it takes a year or two for change to happen, right? So if we're looking for immediate change, that, again, is reactive. And what I'm trying to do is get folks to move from reactive to intentional, Right. And again, you know, Carolyn, I mean, we went we went from (laughs) decades of let's invite a woman to speak and talk about her gender. Right. How much did that make us mad? We're like, oh, my gosh, I have a brain. Um, You know, please let me showcase my talents, not talk about what it's like to be a woman. Right. Um, We want the same thing as men. So it's not really that different. Right, the things that that I want in my career versus what a man wants in their career, right? So that you know, person of color, anyone. Um, what we've got to do is get people better at seeing genius in a wider range of forms, right? And that's the learning that leaders have to do is to be able to say, uh, you know, cybersecurity experts don't just look one way; they don't talk one way; they don't solve a problem one way right? They actually solve it in a lot of different ways. And if they don't have that exposure, if they've not worked with a group of diverse thinkers, they're very unlikely. They're, they're, they're much more likely to hire, like if they really want to diversify, they're more likely to hire somebody based on an optic characteristic rather than an internal skills, which is ultimately the right way to, to hire, which anyone wants, Right. right. Okay, I'm going to stop there. I've been talking a lot. There's a, there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you about, Sarah. One is uh, how we get more women and minorities involved in STEM early, uh, which, by the way, uh, you get them, you get people involved uh, in STEM early doesn't mean that in a year that 
you're now seeing results because you're probably seeing results a decade later. Yeah. Um, but something that I'm struggling with at when, as we grow, you know, in, in our company uh, at Dynatrace, we grow and we are looking for uh, um, diverse candidates that we would like to hire. We look at the, and I'm, I'm looking at the candidate pool and I see a, a disproportionate amount of like white males in the candidate pool in technology. And um, I, I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how I can change that. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's significant. And so uh, I, I know that I've worked at companies in the past who are heavily involved in STEM and things like that, but I don't feel like, you know, we're seeing the results of those efforts in the marketplace now. Maybe we will, and I'll be out of the marketplace by then. It'll be a decade from now, but you know, I, I, how do I handle and deal with the, these kind of yeah. uh, things that, that and I is that deal with today? What Mark sees anecdotally, Sarah, I'm guessing that that's pretty um, universal. And, and on the flip side, in the marketing world, even though I'm in tech, when I go to hire or my most of my peers are women, which I find very interesting. Um like I would say 80, maybe 90% are women. Yeah. yeah. Well, here's, here's maybe a couple of thoughts and I guess I'll just get real honest. Is that okay? Yes, please. Sure. <laughs> I'm going to get real honest with you. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I've been doing this work for 20 years. Uh, the, the observation of the talent pipeline is very common uh, and it is, it is actually not true. What typically that comment comes from is a lack of self-reflection on the company culture. Just because you're not getting candidates means candidates don't want to apply to you. I mean, that's just the end. I mean, that that you know, people are like, what? Why wouldn't why wouldn't they? We're awesome. If you're awesome at hiring white men, good for you. A plus. But that's where the perception gap comes in. You actually fail at hiring women, you get an F. You know, and, and this is a this is where the leaders have to sit down and start to get really honest with themselves because my network is full of women in tech, full of it. And so anecdotally, I could sit here and say, I actually know hundreds and thousands of women in technology. You don't know any? Ooh, who's right, who's wrong? Right? Because we both have our life experiences. It's just that I've made the intentional work and decision to include in my personal network a lot more women in tech, they are there. You just haven't done the work to build your network. Okay. So that's kind of the moment of honesty. Now, this is where the authenticity gap comes from. I can say that as an outside consultant, but unless you listen and hear that and accept the ownership and responsibility, right? Instead of deflect it and say, well, um, it's because the talent pipeline isn't, you know, full Instead of, wow, we're not getting women applying to our company. We're doing something wrong, right? We're actually really great at targeting white men. And I've had people say, well, I don't want to change th things because I just don't believe in targeting women and people of color. <laughs> I'm like, well, you're already targeting white men. That, that, that is a, you know, kind of an interesting statement, right? If all you're hiring is white men, because the talent is there. 
It's just, are you willing to do the work to find it and, and, and really bring it into your network in a meaningful way? Because what happens if you watch the research, um, people will make a decision before they ever hit the submit application button. Okay. So just because you're not getting applicants is not a reflection at all of the true talent pool and leaders somehow have decided that, oh, well, you know, there's nothing I can do because there's just no talent out there instead uh, of so your point. Yeah. Instead it's, of it, there's, it's probably ahead, me, up, up to me to be more active in that process because, but, you know, as I was thinking through your, which, you know, your explanation on this, um, you know, we have a, we have an internal resource talent recruiting team. They, they're the ones who go get the candidates and bring them to us. The talent decides to go where they can thrive. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you think about that, why are they choosing not to come to your company? Well, there's something about how you're describing it or the interactions where they, they, they can't get that sense of thriving. Um, it, it is actually a strategic risk management skill, if you think about it, right? So I, you know, I have a law degree. I have an engineering degree. I'm not stupid. And so what we're doing is we're looking at these cues that companies are giving off and we're making a risk management assessment of, is that where I want to spend my time and energy, right? Is that where I think they're set up? to actually help me thrive? Or do I really feel like it's going to be an emotionally exhausting place to work? Because no, thank you. I'm not even going to hit apply, right? And it's interesting interesting. that BYU did some interesting research where they had uh, job postings and they had one job posting that said, um, was very neutral, right? They had one job posting that said, hey, um, we really encourage people from all backgrounds, diversity, please, please apply. And then they had another posting that talked about um, their inclusive culture. Now, I'm not saying this exactly right, um, you know, but Mark, which one do you think got the most submit application clicks? They might not have gotten higher, but they got the most submit application clicks. What are our choices again? So neutral. Oh. Neutral. Um, we want all these types of diversity, please, if you meet these diversity identity characteristics, please apply. Or the third one is, um, you know, we have a a mission and, uh, you know, inclusion is really important part of our culture um, and, you know, more of that type of statement. Okay, Mark. I would assume the latter. I would assume the latter. The third one. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. my vote too. We vote for C. Okay. And and you're actually right. (laughs) You're, you are right. Um, it got more applicants. And this is actually a, you know, this is, I mean, like Goldman Sachs example. This is actually a company very large in the financial industry, very competitive, very right. But they got more submissions from people of color because of being able to talk about the work they're doing to create more inclusion. Mm-hmm. Notice it wasn't, hey, if you're a woman or a person of color, please apply, right? That was not what actually attracted right. Right. Someone like me to apply. Um, I so, hate that. That's so gross to me because it makes me feel like, oh, you'll hire me because of my gender. How about what I can do? Exactly. My brain. Well, employees feel that too. So when yeah. so when you have that type of culture, employees assume you were not hired. You were hired to check a box, not exactly because what if you what you can contribute. So it's reframing all of those. Mark, I want to I want to talk about a very important talent pipeline. 
idea. Um, I've been doing talent pipeline. So in Utah, I co-founded Women Tech Council in 2007. So again, I've been doing this for ages. This this whole diversity in tech thing is not new. It's very right. old, actually, right? Um, and uh, the organization's 15 years. We actually run the largest high school girls tech conference in the nation. Thousands mm-hmm. of high school girls have gone through our, our program. Yeah, this is Many very famous. I know about this program. Yeah. Many of them go to college. They come back and tell us, I was inspired by SheTech, you know, et cetera. They go into computer science, computing, um, aerospace, everything. Um, So talent programs have existed for decades, but I'm going to tell you the one most powerful thing, if a company actually wants to make a difference, it's for every single one of those men in tech to talk to their daughters, to bring them to the workplace to show them that they belong and to be right there and, and say, you, if this is what you want to do, you can do this. Now, look, I have kids too. And my kids are like, mom, I'm not doing tech. Um, I get it. I get it. Sometimes kids don't want to, but if, if I'm a person in tech and I'm sitting there, well, I'm going to go support this talent pipeline, but I'm not having those conversations in my own family. There's a big disconnect, right? Again, that authenticity, Because when we point to the talent pipeline, basically what we're saying is it's someone else's job to fix this. Yeah. Right. The other, the other big, I think, mistruth that sits there in our, in the way we talk about this, a lot of this is about reframing our conversations is I hear a lot. um, Men will say, well, I care about women in tech because I have daughters. Okay. So that's another thing I hear a lot. Well, okay. Well, one thing, if you don't have daughters, does that give you a pass? No, right? We should actually care about women in tech because we want diverse thinking and talent and they are our friends. We 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 actually believe we can create true friendships just like any other peer that we value in the workplace. It's that level of commitment of seeing women as humans and that that they can be these great contributors. So again, when we say I care about this because I have daughters, that's another deflection, mm-hmm. right? Because it gives a pass for other men to say, well, I don't have kids. So, so, so. this makes me think of your pack size use case that you, you actually have a video out on YouTube that walks through this. And I, I feel like there was a direct correlation, correct me if I'm wrong, but a direct correlation between productivity, and the increased diversity in the workplace. Can you talk about that use case a little bit? Yeah. So PackSize is an interesting study because the global leadership team is all white men. And at 2019, two years ago, they did an engagement study and they're very committed to sustainability and long-term growth, right? So they created an action plan that said, okay, a couple of areas that we really need to work on are diversity, equity, inclusion, and leadership transparency. Okay. That's, you know, I'm sure it's hard for any leadership group to admit and say, you know, look, and the data is actually kind of showing this. So let's be real and let's do something about it. And so, uh, you know, in that, <laughs> just you know, spirit of honesty, they were like, well, we don't actually know how to do diversity, equity, inclusion. I think if we come up with something, it's probably going to be the wrong way to do it. Uh, and so they actually interviewed a number of diversity, equity, inclusion consultants, and I was selected to help them in this journey. Um, my approach is quite different than I think most DEI consultants, but long story short, 
Two years later, they ended up doing a second engagement study, looked at the same factors and looked at the improvement across all factors. They actually improved in every single engagement category. So even though they really focused on two really key areas, you can start to see that it actually improved across the board on all factors, right? Because, I mean, you can imagine leadership transparency and how that flows into the whole organization. Diversity, equity, inclusion as well, from my point of view, it's not just a little subset. It also is all of it. It's it's employee engagement and innovation, right? It's all of it. Um, But the most improved areas were diversity, equity, inclusion, and leadership team. And, you know, you know, as well as I do, when you do an engagement study and it's anonymous, wow, if employees aren't feeling it, they're not going to sit there and rate a high improvement on diversity, equity, inclusion. And so that's kind of another way to measure authenticity. We know that, you know, when it comes to those questions, we're not going to be, we're not going to give a gold star to a leadership team on diversity, equity, inclusion, if we don't really believe they're committed, Mm -hmm. right? That's a pretty easy one, right? Because well, I think- and, and to your point, Sarah, um, that's especially when I will not respond is if I have to trash the leadership because they're so awful. I'm like, yeah, I better just not answer. But okay. if they are fantastic, I will respond. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Non-response is, is powerful just as much as response, right? And so we look at this data and we want to make sure that we're, we're, we're not just looking at the, at the glowy stuff, but also getting real about what the survey is saying. So they're definitely on a journey. They're not saying we um, are amazing in every single category, uh, but the improvement was definitely tied to their action planning, very intentional action planning. And what, what a lot of folks don't know about that situation um, that doesn't really show up in, in what I've put in video is we spent six months doing executive coaching first. I said, look, don't mm. rush this process. There's no need to hurry and do something or hurry and launch a program or initiative, right? So think about how companies normally just, we got we to be seen as doing something. We're not, we're not succeeding in this area. Let's hurry and do something. Um, that's when you get the reactive. That's when you get the check the box feeling, right? Yeah. We just spent six months doing executive coaching. Hey, what, what questions do you have? I mean, I obviously had content every single time, but if they wanted to dive deeper on a topic, I said, wow, that's a great question. Let's talk about that. And we would dive, dive as deep as they wanted or needed and mark these hard questions that you're asking. They were like, Ooh, I want to learn. I actually want to understand that when I, point to the talent pipeline, right? What it, What is it that I'm really saying as a leader, as, as a leader in my company, right? Mm-hmm. I'm really saying, gosh, you know, maybe I'm avoiding some important things about my culture because it's so easy for me to point to this talent pipeline, right? That's outside of my culture and outside of my control, right? Um, right. So those are the type of conversations, very open, genuine, vulnerable, uh, authentic, Right. And they they had that space to do it just amongst themselves. And, you know, I didn't share what was said in those. And after six months, they're like, okay, we're ready to take the next step. So, so that's, I think, you know, the type of thinking that really helps that long-term sustainability really start to take root. Because now when the leaders are saying, okay, let's do this, it's done with a lot of thoughtful intention. Right. And that's felt. And and they're all, by the way, 
all aligned and committed. So you don't have just one executive that's the champion, right? Usually it's right. the woman on the team. Right. Right? <laughs> now you have all of them saying, I understand why we're doing this. I understand why that's important. I, when my team is asking, why are we doing this? I actually have language and I don't have to say it perfectly because that's not the culture we're building, but I, I know why, and I can actually speak to it and share with them that I'm learning too. Um, so you can probably imagine like that type of approach has a very different type of outcome than immediately having HR run a bunch of DEI programs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I would think it'd be it would be it would be more um, genuine. As we wrap it up, first, Mark, do you have any more questions for Sarah? Well, I mean, I have a ton, but I know um, me too. Yeah. But I want to wrap it up with her book <laughs> to yeah. recommend that our our listeners. I mean, I feel like that's a really good place to start, and I have a better understanding of what you mean by authenticity. And I mean, I'm with you, Mark. I. I bought into this belief that the talent pipeline was just white males. And that's really why. And I believe you, like my mind believes what you're saying, Sarah, that that's not the truth, but I still kind of think it might be the truth. So I need more coaching. Let me just mention one more thing. Um, You know, again, it's about branching out and where are we looking, right? Uh, So Southern Utah, which is very not well, people don't know this, but SUU, Southern Utah University, has one of the premier cybersecurity groups. Uh, There's a woman named Shalini Kesar there, um, and she actually runs the most successful, one of the most prolific National Center for Women women and Information Technology Um, you know, the computing programs for high school girls. She gets hundreds of girls from South Southern Utah to participate and they win awards regularly, uh, nationally, right? Um, Well, how how does she do this? She literally jumps in her car and she drives to the homes of these girls, talks to them about the program, talks to their parents. Their parents don't understand anything about cybersecurity, right? Why cybersecurity, right? It's that one-to-one human touch that she brings. And her center, she supports one of the largest, most successful NC WIP programs in the nation. Um, I just don't think we're looking very hard, mm-hmm. right? And I know this because I've been in this world for 15 over 15 years, but they're there, right? They're being educated and they're being encouraged and mentored. What often happens, there's research out this, is they come into our industries and then we drive them away, right? Our cultures are not ready. So we're doing all this work to build pet talent pipeline only to lose about 30 to 40% of them. So when you think about the numbers, right? Why would we lose 30 to 40% of these amazing women coming into our industry? That's on leaders. That's up to us to keep these amazing women, Shalini, Women Tech Council, they're doing the hard work to build the talent pipeline. So stop focusing on that and start working on your cultures so they stay, right? Partner, partner with those in the community who really are working hard and caring about this issue. Now that's really, that's kind of thought-provoking stuff, right? Well, guess what? I live in Utah. I had no idea that SUU had that kind of program. Yeah, yeah. No yeah. idea. Carolyn, on the book, uh, so when folks read it, they're going to be like, oh, where's the data? 
Um, again, uh, you know, if, if you want to see the business case, you can go to YouTube because I, because again, this stuff takes time. I started working with PackSize two years ago. You cannot get immediate results in, in 30 days, 90 days, right? Uh, so those, the data is actually on YouTube and I'm, I'm going to be writing a part two, but part one is the step everyone wants to skip over. How do I build a leadership team or what is it that my leadership team needs to be ready for this journey, right? You actually cannot solve a dysfunctional leadership team with diversity, equity, inclusion. So if my leadership team isn't in a space of sort of that humility, willingness to learn, uh, we can be vulnerable with each other, then it's very unlikely that you can succeed transforming your culture. So what that what the ebook does is it really shares more of the mindset. Uh, Hankel and Laura Kiesner, who are the founders, they didn't know everything perfectly, but they're happy to share very uh, in in real words, you know, kind of the work in their own personal journeys to really go into diversity, equity, inclusion, and um, I, I think you can learn a lot to really understand. Well, how did they have to think about this? What it, what did it take for them to to bring their leadership team on board, which by the way, wasn't hard because they already had that type of culture on their leadership team. So that's really what that book is intended to share is the mindset of leaders to be ready to take this journey. Great. Thank you. So we're going to finish with our fun round of lightning tech talk question. Okay. Yes. So Mark, do you want to ask the first one? Any of sure. This this is this is a, a, a quite a jump from the topic from the, the discussion today, but uh, a little bit. So what do you? Yeah, just a little bit. What what do you think uh, is the next big leap in technology? What do you think it's going to be? Well, I'm going to stay on the topic of DEI. I just posted on LinkedIn. My friend's daughter just won a gold medal for women's soccer in the Deaf Olympics, and I also mentioned in that post that. Uh, Sorensen Communications, which is a Utah-based company, and on this topic of learning, Carolyn, I didn't know this either until a few months ago, they actually have technology around deaf and hard of hearing people. Um, The group that bought their company, they just bought a majority share, is called Aerial Alternatives, which is the first Black-owned investment firm in the United States. It's actually their first investment. And what's kind of cool is nobody knows about it like Silicon Slopes. I don't think they picked it up. I'll have to go back and Google in my email to see if they picked it up, but very under the radar, right? This is the next big thing. They are smart. They are looking at these, the deaf and hard of hearing community is massive, right? So these markets um, in underserved communities are sitting there and aerial alternatives is, is smart. They're not going to go mainstream because they know everyone else will overlook these types of investments, Right. And so that's that might be an interesting just from a business perspective. You know, um, I don't know exactly the technology, but I do think that the market for serving underserved communities using technology is just going to mushroom. And if you are smart, uh, but but do it authentically. Um, I, I know way too many people that go into industries just to make a buck. Yeah. Just to make money. And I hate that. That that kills me more than anything. I love stories like that. It's so inspiring showing how tech really improves our lives. So tell us what you like to do um, to get yourself inspired. Like what kind of things are you listening to podcasts? What kind of shows do you like to watch? 
And it doesn't have to be like really highly intellectual. In fact, I prefer it's not because I want to watch it too. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually a pretty boring person. Um, I love to work. Unfortunately, I'm a workaholic, but I will tell you the thing that probably inspires me most is, is just sitting down and getting to know somebody's story at a deeper level. I don't care who you are. You have an interesting life. Um, and just being able to understand where does someone come from? What made that person, especially when I meet somebody that's incredibly resilient Mm -hmm. and got through some really, really hard challenges. I love just understanding who they are and why they are the way they are. Yeah. That's one of the best things about this podcast is all the cool people we get to meet. Yeah. It's an interesting, that's a different answer than we have gotten before. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Mark, you get the last question. Oh, boy. Um, Please let it be sci-fi. Please let it be sci-fi. Yeah. Okay. So um, (laughs) if you have a magic wand, what would you like to see come to fruition in technology? Well, that's an interesting question because, again, when I put my DEI hat on, I actually think that technology will never solve inclusion by itself. So I do think that you'll see a lot more DEI technology coming our way into corporate, into things. But I I just I worry that people, again, will think, oh, there's the silver bullet that I was looking for. When actually it it really starts with us and our willingness to learn, which technology can never, ever replace. So Mm -hmm. I know that's not the answer that you want to hear, but I want to take this opportunity if folks are listening and and expecting me to spout out some really cool DEI technology they haven't heard of. um, You probably haven't done the work yet to be ready for that to be super meaningful. So um, gosh, that's such a downer. Can I just talk about sci-fi real quick? Well, I was going to oh, ask yeah. you who your top three sci-fi characters are, but you can say anything about sci-fi that you want. Oh my gosh. I love sci-fi. Okay. So I'm just going to talk just a little bit about Battlestar Galactica. Yes. Starbucks. The okay. reboot. Starbucks. Oh my gosh. Yes. Kara Thrace. Okay. <laughs> but here's a fun fact that a lot of people don't know is that I used to play the accordion when I was younger and people just look at me like I'm an alien. They're like, what? And then they start sending me German, you know, accordion videos and then Chinese and then Korean accordion videos as if like I somehow didn't grow up in America and there are accordionists here. Okay. Um, But the theme song of Battlestar Galactica, the new, the new one. Right. With Katie Sackhoff as Starbuck. Is based on accordion music. It's digitized accordion music, and a lot of people. I gotta go back and listen. I gotta go Go back back and listen and go go watch the making of Battlestar Galactica because I watched everything, even the the movie spinoffs, the making. Anyway, uh, I think some of the best sci-fi on the planet because it's so humanistic, right? It is so like the topics they took on were so so challenging. But I will say one other sci-fi that I love is The Expanse. Because on the CGI, I actually think they did an amazing job really thinking about what zero gravity looks like. Mm. So when you look at the battles they fight and things like that, you ne- you've, I've never seen uh, sort of uh, the technology or the way that, you know, um, explosions would happen in, in zero space or just 
like the complete silence. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I mean, just brilliant. I got to go back to the expanse because I had to stop. It was kind of scaring me. <laughs> I don't well, know why. It just gave me this but, really uncomfortable. What did you stop on? I think I only got like two episodes in and I was like, this is too scary. Oh, oh, no, no, no. Don't, don't worry about that. No, <laughs> move forward, move forward because, because Christian is my muse. Okay. Okay. Her, I will go back to outfits, the expanse. Oh my gosh. Her voice. She is, she's my favorite. Um, and also Kara Therese is my favorite, but I love this sci-fi, frankly, from a DEI. The cast are so incredibly diverse, oftentimes yeah. because these folks can't find roles in mainstream. So if I had a magic wand, Mark, it'd be that a, a lot more movies would actually look more like sci-fi casts because you get this such interesting, interesting characters um, and I think that's happening more like sure. with Marvel and things like that, but like main, 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 main mainstream movies. Well, you've just taken this to a whole new level. I know. Yeah. I want to keep talking about sci-fi, but Christian, oh my god. Oh my well, and you're so what you just want to be here when I grow up. This is why I love sci-fi because we like the imagination just goes wild. We let I mean anything goes. And this is where real life application comes from is these dreams and these, you know, letting your mind just go wild and creative. So yeah. um, with that, we are going to thank you, Sarah, for a very fun hour. And um, thank you listeners for joining us today. Please share and like this episode, the links to Sarah's book to the YouTube mentions will be in our show notes. So, and we will talk to you. Your story is fascinating. So Sarah's story is out on TED Talk. Sarah, um, you were adopted. You're Korean. You were adopted at the age of three, raised here in the U.S., found your birth parents 42 years later. And that um, is, I'm just getting chills thinking about it. So your TED Talk is out there about that story. And it's beautiful. So that link is also there. Thank you. Yeah, not and you know the the talk itself is not tech related, but folks on this call should know or on this podcast should know that tech is how I found my birth family. So right there's these life changing things that tech can enable. There's also really horrible things as we know, but the, my story is an example of a positive use of technology. There you go. Which is oh, what that's we're great. That's what we're all about. So this is really enlightening. Me. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms. Please post a review, share this episode, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.